Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. I have with me again this week on the program Dr. Jonathan Welton, and uh, he is the author of the book we're talking about, Understanding the Whole Bible. It'll bless you, uh, as well as uh, his other books. He has 12 other books. I've read a couple of them. I've not read all of them. Uh, but uh, this one is the one that uh, I've been reading recently, and I felt like he would be such a blessing to come on and talk about covenant. Uh, he is the founder and president of Welton Academy, which is an online uh, Bible school. If you're looking for an online Bible school, I highly recommend that. And uh, there's information on the screen how to contact him or his uh, products and how to get in touch with him. He's a traveling ministry just like I am, and we travel all over the world. We're coming a city somewhere near you, so if you want to connect with him or contact him, it's best to do that through his website. It's good to have you back on. Uh, Dr. Weldon, it's good to have you on the program again this week, and uh, we're going to get right in the Word real in just a few moments, but I want to tell you that if you missed the last two programs we've filmed, and you want to go back and see some of the things that we've been saying about covenant, everything that we have aired to date is on our YouTube channel. And you can go there and you can watch them at your leisure. They are archived there. And uh, you, you, can, you can go there. Uh, there's a direct link from my website to uh, that YouTube page as well as our iTunes uh, uh, podcast where you can get the audio portion of this and stream it in your car while you're traveling. Mm. There's also an RSS feed for any other kind of device that you have other than uh, maybe an iPod or an iPad. So you can, you can go back and review these. And uh, so I, I think you'll be blessed by them. If you haven't seen them uh, up to this point, it would be a blessing to you to go back. Last week we were talking about the five different covenants. Everything in the Old Testament is not necessarily Old Covenant. Everything in the New Testament is not necessarily New Covenant. And we were talking last week especially about the five different covenants uh, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and then the covenant of the New Covenant, which was Jesus, the Jesus Covenant. Uh, uh, Dr. Weldon mentioned last week, and he'll probably review some of this in just a moment, but he meant, mentioned the different kinds of a covenant. And I, this really helped me to kind of understand how and why God acted a certain way under certain, you know, different covenants, because he's a covenant-keeping God. People say things like, well, he's God, you know, he changes not like he doesn't ever do anything different than he did before, but he's a God that changes not because he does what he does inside of covenant. Mm. And so uh, he honors his word above his name, yeah. is what the scripture says. Yeah. And so the covenants are, are, are interesting. But he explained them, and he'll come back over them in just a moment. There was a, uh, a grant covenant, a kinship covenant, a vassal covenant. And I'll let him jump in there and explain that to you because it's powerful how these pieces will help us to understand some things about the covenant. It's good to have you back on with me again. Yes, uh, great to be with you again, and what a great place to start. So uh, as you've heard, there are five major covenants, and we're familiar with these from any basic knowledge of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus. And yet what we're less familiar with as modern Christians is the history of how these covenants were understood. Um, we hear covenant and we think maybe inside of one concept. 
and yet there were multiple types of covenants in the ancient world. You've mentioned the three major ones, and those are really what we find in Scripture. Grant being the best type of covenant, you want a grant covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the kinship being eh, not so great, but sort of the middle ground covenant. And then the worst being the vassal covenant. So then we have to ask, of these five major covenants that Scripture's made up of, which of the three types of covenant are they? Well, so here's how a grant covenant works. A grant is if you have two kings that are coming together and they're going to make a covenant together, but one is a greater king and he wants to bless the lesser king with no obligations, no strings attached. I just want to bless you. You're a good king. We're going to come into an agreement together and I want to give to you with no strings attached. That's great. That's a wonderful thing. You want to be in that deal. Yep. And that's called a grant covenant. Uh, it's, it's what we see happen in the book of Esther, uh, where Mordecai is being honored because he had saved the life of the king. They found the record. And he says uh, to, to Haman, what would you do to honor somebody? And Haman thinks he's talking about him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'd, I'd give him a parade and a, a robe and a ring and... Put him on the king's horse. Exactly. And, and so he has this, this idea, uh, and that was a grant covenant. It was a greater honoring a lesser with no strings attached. Well, this is the type of covenant that God prefers. It's the kind he always tries to offer. When you go through the five major covenants, uh, especially, uh, it's so obvious you get to Noah. He's gone through the flood. He's had the whole ark experience. He's now offering a sacrifice. It says that the smoke goes up to God's nostrils, and then God comes and he gives him the covenant. You have the covenant communication take place. Well, it's a grant covenant because there's no strings attached. Mm -hmm. You think about it, he shows up and he says, Noah, I'll never do that again. And to prove it, here's a little sign I'll put it in the sky. We'll call it a rainbow, and it'll be these pretty colors. And we don't really think about the actual context. Here's Noah. His entire world just got destroyed. Destroyed in the flood. He's got his family. He's got some animals. He's got whatever was on the boat with him. And everybody else, neighbors, friends, uh, you know, companies, whatever was at that time is gone. So now, and it's never rained before. So the first time it rains, everybody dies. Now he's out of the boat. And it starts raining because it's a Tuesday. And it starts raining, and he's probably flinching <laughs> with a little post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Should we get back on like, the boat, right? Is the flood going to happen again? Is this what's about to happen? And, and what level of whatever does it take for God to cause another flood? He might be thinking in some of those terms of fear. And, and so here's poor Noah. Like this guy, is, he's been through it. This is traumatic. So God, in his kindness, in his gentleness, he comes to Noah. Noah, I'm never going to do it again. <sighs> Man, talk about peace, right? That's really helpful for Noah. And there's no strings attached. Like, well, unless you do this, then I'm totally going to flood you again. Nope, there's no rule book. There's no, here's the rules to keep or else I'll flood you again. He simply says, I'm never doing it again and I'll prove it, I'll put a rainbow in the sky, it'll be a reminder of my covenant with you. 
Where's the rule book? Where's the thou shalt not? There's nothing there. That's a grant covenant. It's a blessing, it's favor, it's honor, it's given from greater to lesser with no strings attached. Abraham, Abraham meets, Abraham shows up in Genesis 12, and in Genesis 12, God says to him, Abraham, Abram, I'm gonna make your name great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna multiply you in the earth, I'm gonna make uh, all nations blessed through you. He just starts giving him the promises. Abram hadn't done anything yet. There's no rule book involved. There's no, well, unless you do this and this and this. Or if, you, if you're a coward and you lie about your beautiful wife, I'm totally not your partner anymore. Well, fortunately for Abraham, that was not included in the deal. Mm -hmm. So God comes and blesses him uh, just with no strings attached. He says, this is what I am going to do. That's a grant covenant. So Abraham receives a grant covenant. David receives a grant covenant. We'll jump over Moses for a minute mm -hmm. here. But David, he receives a grant covenant. Uh, he actually finished building this beautiful palace that had taken years to build. And then he looks and he says, you know, God doesn't have a beautiful house. He's got this little tent over here. And uh, I should do something. I love God. I love his heart. I want to bless God. I have a great house. God should have a great house. And Nathan the prophet says, do everything that's in your heart. Then Nathan goes home. He falls asleep. God begins to speak to Nathan the prophet, and he says, no, <laughs> don't build me a house. Now, Nathan has to come back to David, and basically it's, uh, we don't get this inflection, but this is how I, I see it, is like, David, thank you. That's really sweet. <laughs> you want to build me a house? That's so cute, David. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the thought. But I've never lived in a house built by human hands. I, and you, you are a man of war. You have blood on your hands. So I don't want you to build me this house. It won't represent me as, as who I am because your hands are covered in blood. So David begins to set aside all the materials and his son Solomon actually builds God's temple. And so we, we may be familiar with that story, but really in the core of that story is where God offers a covenant. He sees David wants to bless him. He, he loves the fact that David's heart wants to honor him. And so he says, David, you, you don't, you're not going to build me a house, but you know what? I'm going to build you a house. Mm -hmm. And God's play on words here is interesting because the way he responds, I'll build you a house, is not a physical house mm -hmm. that David's going to live in. He just finished his palace. He's got a house. Mm -hmm. What God is saying is I'll build you a house, a dynasty. I'll build yeah. you a legacy. And you'll have a son that will sit on an eternal throne. Now, we know that that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. We find that out down the road. Actually, it's the first message of the gospel that's preached at the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up, the speaking in tongues has happened, people are falling over like drunk people, it's a good meeting, and they're having their day of Acts, uh, day of Pentecost moment. But the message that Peter actually preached in Acts chapter 2 is that Jesus is the eternal son of David that they've been waiting for. He's the promised seed. He's the son that God promised to King David hundreds of years earlier. And it's proven because he raised from the dead. And because he rose up from the dead, 
He's the eternal son that will sit on an eternal throne in heaven, and it's happening now. Mm -hmm. That's the message that Peter preaches. And he says to them, and you are the ones who killed him. And everybody's convicted, and 3,000 people get saved that day, actually preaching that Jesus has already sat down on the eternal throne as the eternal son that fulfills the David covenant. Mm -hmm. But the David covenant does not come with strings attached. He doesn't say to David, you'll have a house, you'll have a dynasty, and uh, I will give you an eternal throne. I'll give you a son to sit on an eternal yeah. throne unless you kill a guy, unless you sleep with that guy's wife, unless you have a child out of wedlock, then I'm totally not keeping this deal. None of that's tied in. Because yep. David's covenant doesn't come with a rule book attached. David's covenant comes as a promise with no strings attached. So he also receives a grant covenant. Now this is really important because the Moses covenant actually is kind of weird. It's, it starts with God offering them a grant covenant. They've left Egypt. Yep. They've made it to the foot of Mount Sinai. God says to them, I want you uh, to be a nation of kings. I want you to be a nation of priests. Your whole nation will be a nation of priests. And then a few chapters later, one tribe called Levi is the tribe of priests. Mm -hmm. Something went wrong there. Mm -hmm. They went from the whole nation gets to be priests to one tribe is priests. So something weird has happened. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because now as believers, we are all priests. We're actually a nation of priests, is what Peter writes. Mm -hmm. So we're a nation of priests. It's actually what God offered to them at the foot of Mount Sinai. Yep. And yet something shifted. Mm -hmm. And instead, they end up with a whole religious system that was not exactly what God offered to them. Because originally, he's offering them a grant covenant. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You'll be a nation of priests. Now, what does that mean? A priest has direct access to God, yep. direct relationship. Yep. You get to walk into his presence. That's what he offers them. But they've spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves, as orphan-minded people, yep. religiously minded. The only God that they have known for 400 years is Pharaoh, who's worshipped as God, who works them seven days a week. So you have a whole different system that they've been under for 10 generations. So when he says, you get to be priests, they're thinking, whoa, that is way too close of a relationship. Yeah. We know what God is like because they've experienced Pharaoh, mm -hmm. and they're afraid of this God. Yep. They don't know this God, and they're saying, look, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those guys have been dead for 400 years. We don't know exactly what you're like. You make us a bit nervous. Let's change this. Rather than us being a nation of priests, what we'll do is we'll counter offer. Now, a lot of people, we don't catch this because yeah. it's not in the book of Exodus. It's actually in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. And by the time we've read through Leviticus and Numbers, we have mixed up the story. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, they're doing a review. It's 40 years later. Moses is getting ready to die. Joshua's going to be in charge. They're on the plains of Moab. 
And in Deuteronomy 5, you get the backstory. Mm -hmm. In Deuteronomy 5, God offers to them, uh, you can be a nation of priests, let's take three days, and then I want all of the nation to come up on the mountain and meet with me. So after three days, everybody's supposed to come up. During the three-day waiting period, it says that the leaders of Israel got nervous. They start to freak out. And they're saying, look, we've seen God and we didn't die, but we don't want to see him anymore lest we die. If we see him anymore, he'll probably kill us. So they tell Moses, you go talk to God. You go get us the rule book. Whatever he says, we'll obey. Mm -hmm. That's the slave orphan mindset, the religious poverty mindset yep. operating. You give me a rule book, I'll have relationship with the rule book, yep. not with the person who wrote the rule book. Mm -hmm. So they choose the rule book. Moses goes up and notice after three days, now if anybody touches the mountain, they're supposed to be shot with an arrow or killed with a stone. And God is not letting the whole nation come up, only Moses. Because originally all of them were going to go up, and now only the mediator, only Moses goes up. He's the only one with the direct relationship now. So he goes up, and he gets a totally different covenant that we talked about last week, the kinship covenant, where you each take a copy of it back to your people. So Moses, he gets the, the stone tablets, and now they're operating under a kinship covenant, which has rules attached to it. Originally, God was going to make them his people. Everybody would have direct relationship. And instead, uh, and, and a grant covenant, no rules attached. But instead, they counter offer out of their fear. And they say, give us some rules and we'll follow the rules. Mm -hmm. We don't want the relationship. We want the rules. Mm -hmm. It's really Israel's worst moment in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So they counter offer and they get a kinship covenant. A kinship covenant is much more like what we see in a wedding ceremony. Mm -hmm. It's a short list of rules, but it's really vows. Mm -hmm. So the Ten Commandments are, are the rules that they have for 40 years in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And they do terrible with those 10 rules. Yeah. I mean, that's bad. The rocks aren't even cold yet, and they've run broke several of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, he has to get a second set because they, they've broken it already. Um, the, the 40 years they're wandering, they actually are operating under a kinship covenant. And then when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, they get downgraded even worse into the vassal covenant. Now, in the kinship covenant, well... In the grant covenant, it's greater, blessing, lesser, with no strings attached. Kinship covenant is two equals coming together, and we come to an agreement with a short list of rules. But then a vassal covenant is a greater, has come to make a, a covenant with a lesser, but it's like if I as a great king come and I kill your whole army, the only people left are elderly, and women, and children, and handicaps. And of, of those four categories, I say, you know, I could just wipe out all the rest of you, or I really like tax money. You can stay alive, and I'll come and I'll tax you uh, like crazy, and I'll keep coming, and I'll take and take and take. Uh, and here's a giant list of rules, which include curses, and if you break these, I will come and I will end you. I will annihilate you. 
That's a vassal covenant. It's very bad. It's the book of Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same structure. There's been uh, Meredith Klein uh, did a huge study on this in the, in the 60s uh, called the Treaty of the Great King. And he shows how the book of Deuteronomy actually is a vassal covenant. It's divided the same way. It's written the exact same way as all the other ancient vassal covenants. So after 40 years of walking as equal partners under a kinship covenant with a short list of rules, Israel has done so rotten and so terrible, Moses is about to die, and that's the time that with a new partner coming into your deal, you can change the terms. So rather than annihilating Israel, which God had considered a few times, he mentioned it to Moses, Moses talked him down a few times, uh, and notice, even with Moses, he says, but remember your servant Abraham. Yeah, he, he, he appeals back to yeah. Abraham. So, and that covenant. Yes, and that, that was a covenant. great covenant. Yeah. So he, he appeals back to that uh, to turn away God's wrath a few times. And so now Joshua's coming in, and the terms change. God could have just annihilated them, but instead he says, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to change this into a vassal covenant because you are a terrible partner. And we mentioned in an earlier episode where the people say amen to each of the curses that God releases in Deuteronomy 27. That's a part of a vassal covenant. You have been completely defeated. The great king comes to you and he says, and if you don't follow this, I'll do this. And the people say, Amen. It's a part of submitting. It's, it's not, no longer is it the grant covenant that was offered at the foot of Mount Sinai. You'll be a nation of priests. You'll all have direct relationship with me. Instead, it's, you guys, this is how bad this relationship has gotten, that here's a curse. And then they say, Amen. Amen. They're receiving all of this, submitting to this vassal covenant. That's how bad the relationship got. And that's really where they live until Jesus comes, mm -hmm. except King David. King David somehow, and I, I think there's something inside of this revelation of worship that he has, his harp in the field with the sheep, his relationship with God, where he's able to somehow see around the old covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant. And he's able to get a glimpse of the heart of God in a way that actually is so different than the other uh, people in the Old Testament. So David actually ends up with his own unique covenant that sits there by itself uh, in the midst of the Mosaic Covenant, the 1400 years of, of really spiritual darkness until Jesus comes to reveal the Father. And we'll get into that probably more in the next episode, but really that's the main mission of Jesus is to help us see the Father again, because he got covered up by what happened at Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. And there's been really darkness through a lot of the Old Testament because of it. And really people misunderstood, you know, uh, the, just like they do today. The more rules you have, the less relationship you have, the more you misunderstand yeah. his heart. Yeah. And Deuteronomy says, because the Lord our God hated us. He didn't hate them. And matter of fact, mm -hmm. even all through, even the glimpses of the covenant he did give with them. Yeah, even in, the, of his mercy. Even in the Ten Commandments. Yeah. I, it boggles the mind to think under Pharaoh they had to work seven days a week. And God, even in establishing the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Covenant, he says, uh, don't kill people, 
uh, don't rob people, uh, don't commit adultery, oh, and make sure you take a day off. That's really strange to yeah. put that on the level. Like, those don't match. Yeah. Uh, and yet, he's trying to put right from the very beginning, he's saying to them, I am not like Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. That's the message of, and take a day off. Why? To, because he wants to say, I'm not going to work you seven days a week. I'm not like the sun god Ra. I'm not like Pharaoh, your taskmaster. I'm a good god. Mm -hmm. So make sure you take a day off every week. So he, he's dropping nuggets, a little trail of, of, of crumbs through the Old Testament for them to see, mm -hmm. I'm not what you think I am. And even, even, you know, through the, even through that covenant, he's shown them glimpses of, you know, like even with the sacrifices that, you know, there's a way out of this to get mercy. And he's pointing to something greater. So all through that, it even has glimpses of, of you know, of mm. his heart to some degree. Yes. Listen, I'm going to give you opportunities to repent. And, you know, even Jesus in Matthew 23, right before he begins to pronounce the woes, he says to them, I would have gathered you under my feathers. I, I, he wept, you know, and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you to kill the prophets. How often I would have gathered you. So he, well, he was basically said, I wanted to give you mercy, and you keep on. You have, you know, you have, you have continued yeah. to just refuse mercy. You've continued to refuse the opportunities where he held out his hand to them. Yes. You know, and yes. just did not receive them. A lot of the things he's saying as well are in, Hebrews 12, where he talks about, you know, so terrible was the sight. You know, where you were talking about Deuteronomy, so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake, but you've not come to that mount. In other words, that's the whole thing. You've not come to the mount that says you'll be thrust through the dart or you'll be, you know, uh, you know blackness and darkness. But that's yeah. the mountain that most people are brought to every Sunday mm. when they come to church is the mountain of a God you've got to stay away from, a God who's fearful, a God mm. who, you know, is going to thrust you through with a dart. But he said very clearly, Hebrews 12, for you did not come to that mountain. Right. What mountain is that? It's Mount Sinai. But then he stops and says, but you are come to Mount Zion, to the yeah. city of the living God. You're not coming there, you're there. So the contrast here is Mount Sinai was the old covenant. Yes. The fear-based, everything that people are afraid of. Yes. And Mount Zion's the new covenant. And I, I think I'm right in saying that's a grand covenant. The that's new covenant correct. is a that's better covenant. That's right. That's right. So one-sided, where God basically is a covenant partner that says, listen, we're going to get back to how I wanted to start out with. That's just, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to be a right. whole nation of priests. And the, offers us a personal relationship. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, listen, I'm going to tell you, you know, what we're preaching doesn't make you lawless. You get a relationship with God and you're going to lose the desire for everything else that's destroying your life. Mm -hmm. But if we could just bring people back into a relationship with God, because when, when that relationship with God is satisfied, everything else is satisfied. Without a relationship with God, it's like a vacuum. You, you suck the air out of a Pepsi bottle, it collapses. And that's what people's lives are without a personal relationship with God. And then they try to fill it with all kinds of things and addictions and everything else. An addiction without satisfaction is basically, or, or, or pleasure without satisfaction is addiction. Mm. And But only God can satisfy. We're about out of time. If you've got a minute, call the number on the screen or uh, go to our website and sow a seed into the ministry. And uh, that's what helps us keep taking the gospel around the world. Tune in again next week. Jonathan will be on with me one more time at least. And uh, you want to tune in and catch this. God bless you for joining in. The word repentance means to change your mind. 
The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.